so this is exciting. Um, we talked about getting to normal. Well, we're getting to a kind of normal, but it's a heck of a lot more normal than the previous normal. So I'm pretty happy about it. Well, welcome to Summit Ridge Community Church. Those who don't know me, my name is Eric Birch. I'm one of the associate pastors here. Get the privilege of sharing the message with you. Uh, welcome everybody online. Looking at the group, there's only a few of you left out there, but uh, we're glad you're with us. As you know, uh, we started this year as a topic of new beginnings. And uh, obviously because, you know, the last year is kind of bumpy. Um, and so we really kind of focus on where we want to go with this new year. And so we started, of course, with the book of Genesis, and we're going to end with the book of Revelation, singular. Um, and right now we're in the book of Galatians. Now, um, Galatians is kind of an exciting book because written by Paul, of course, but it's one of the earliest ones he wrote. And so in it, you can sense that excitement that's in his voice, right? The way he's trying to encourage people to get away from the law and push the faith of Jesus Christ. You know, and I think about it, for those of you that remember when you first came to know the Lord, there was an excitement, a zeal. There was like, you know, you couldn't wait to tell people. And that's where Paul is. He's excited. I mean, he went through this transformational process. You know, boom, Saul becomes Paul. And, and, you know, he's excited. And now he's dealing with the churches in Galatia, which, of course, we know is in central Turkey. And it's a group of churches that are made up of Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. And they, of course, as we know from Scripture, they get along great. Um, (laughs) So... You know, and then he's having to deal with the Judaizers. These people are saying, well, okay, fine, you can be Christian, but you gotta be Jewish first. And so Paul's having a, you know, a pretty exciting time. And we saw during the last three chapters of Galatians that Paul has been uh, pointing out that Christianity is about faith in Jesus Christ, and that's it. There's no law to follow, there's no, you know, all that sort of stuff. And he presents the relationship between Abraham, Moses, and Christ, and how in um, Abraham received the promise. Um, and the verse of Genesis makes it clear that Abraham believed and it was accounted to him as righteousness and therefore all of the nations would be blessed. Notice it says all. It doesn't say the Jewish nation. So we'll go to Genesis 18:18, 18, 18, and it says, Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So we know we have this promise that all the nations will be blessed um, through Abraham. And then about 430-odd years later, Moses, uh, God gives Moses the law. Now, we have to understand the law didn't nullify the promise. It just made it more clear in how urgent it was going to have to be. Because the law made it clear that man cannot obey the law. And therefore, there must be something outside of the law that brings man to God. And then finally we see how the promise was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that he came not to nullify the law, but to pay the price for the law we did not obey. Belief is attributed to us as righteousness. It's our belief in Jesus Christ that gets us salvation. Not the law, not following the rules, not to say that you shouldn't, 
That's not the point. But the point is, it's not the law. Now, in Galatians 4, Paul is going to go through kind of the same history, contrasting man's position under the law against man's position under grace. So he's saying to the Galatians, once you were slaves, but now you are sons. And then we'll see next week, why is it that you want to go back to slavery? It's an amazing thought that we became the adopted sons and daughters of God the Father. I mean, that's an amazing thought. Right? So we'll start point one. Under the law, we are slaves to the law. So Galatians 4, verses 1 to 3. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave. Although he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So also we will, while we were children, we were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. So some context here. In Greek and Roman society, first of all, women and slaves meant nothing. No offense, ladies, but you weren't high on the food chain. Um, On the other hand, boys were effectively slaves until they reached the age of majority, typically around 15 or so, maybe a little older, depending, again, set by the father. The, The meanwhile, and they may be, in fact, the heir of a tremendous estate, but it does them no benefit. They can't get anything from that estate. They're not in charge of it. Um, I read an interesting book recently. Uh, it was called When Children Become People. Um, and it literally looked at that relationship that while you are slaves, you don't exist as people in that society. You didn't count. Um, and, and it's interesting, when you look at some of the things that happened to slaves back in the old days, they weren't people. They didn't count. Um, and so Paul's telling us that's the same relationship we have when we're under the law. Now, when under the law, or in the case of a child, when under these tutors and whatnot, life was difficult. They were disciplined, often cruelly, because they were forced to follow the law, follow the rules of the tutors. Um, and he may in title be somebody really special, but in actuality he was not. He had no rights of his own. He didn't control any property. The trustees, the tutors, they did. What he could have, what he couldn't have, etc. And he's in this condition... Until his father says, yes, you're mature enough, I will let you become a man, effectively. I will let you become who we know in Christ. You really are, but of course they didn't know Christ. Now Paul is saying, so it is with us. We were in the same boat. Um, In the Old Testament, they were heirs of the promise, right? They had not received the, the benefit of the promise yet. But they knew it was there. And it's interesting when you look at Abraham, who believed. Can you imagine? I always thought the worst part of being Abraham was having a teenager at 113. It's just like, I mean, seriously. But I mean, he's 90 years old, told, hey, you're going to have kids. 
a kid. You gotta be kidding. And Sarah, of course, I love that part where Sarah hears, overhears this conversation and she laughs. And God says, why did you laugh? I didn't laugh. Come on, I'm God. Seriously, you laughed. Why? You know. But you can imagine Sarah being of that age and being barren all this time being told, hey, you're gonna have a kid. And not only are you gonna have a kid, but that kid will be the, the, the father of many nations. You know, more than stars in the sky and sand and all that. And it's interesting today in history, we see that struggle that went through with Abraham on the news today. Right? We see Isaac and Ishmael fighting to this very day. And I think it's kind of interesting because we Americans can fix anything, right? So we're going to fix that struggle between Ishmael and Isaac that's existed for 3,000 years. Sure we are. Uh, anyway, as an aside. So they were slaves to the law as an heir would be in the childhood years. So we read in Galatians 3.23, but before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith, which was later to be revealed. And that's in custody of the law. Right? What a, I mean, it's like imprisoned by it. So before Jesus came, they only had the promise. They did not yet have the prize. They're waiting for the full sonship as one awaits the maturity to which they claim the rightful inheritance. Now, verse 3 that we read under Galatians 4, verse 3, has an interesting term in it. It said, we were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. So what are the elemental things of the world? Well, there's a few thoughts about that. One, it could mean the elemental spirits that were common in that day, right? Fire, water, um, earth, and air. And, of course, the heavenly bodies, right? Sun, moon, stars. There was a lot of stuff that went on with that, right? Ceremonies and celebrations and the moon, you know, and all these sorts of things. Um, and we know that a lot of pagan festivals were based upon those sorts of things. And we know that the Old Testament Jews were constantly getting pulled into that. Um, you know, we look at right now, I, I go through this thing where I read through the Bible uh, every year. And right now I'm through the part where Solomon gets all these women. I mean, like lots. And he gets pulled away from what his real focus is supposed to be. And that is so common in the Old Testament. They get pulled away from the truth because they get caught up in all these other societies. And we do the same thing today. Don't think that we're off, you know, we get distracted by all these things. Um, Now, that doesn't seem to be the likeliest reason because we know that this bondage we're talking about came under the law. And God shared it to his people through angels and through the word. So it's unlikely that that's the elemental spirits we're talking about because God wouldn't use those, right? So a second possibility is that Satan took a good thing, the law, and twisted it for his own purposes in order to enslave men and women. Now, Satan is really good at that. That's like his number one skill set. You know, if he was going to put out a resume, number one, I'm really good at deceiving people and twisting the truth, right? Um, And indeed, Jesus' ministry had to deal with that very issue. We had Pharisees and Sadducees that had 
they were all about the law, but they missed the key points of the law. The part about justice and love and those sorts of things. Recall in Matthew 23, 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Right? So Jesus is telling them, you've got these pieces of the law, but you missed the point. You treat people poorly, and yet you think you're somebody special. So we could do all the legal, legalistic things well, but skip the requirements of the golden rule and a compassionate attitude toward our fellow man. You know, it's interesting, when I listen to laws and stuff that are getting passed, I think to myself, in what they want to do, does it show that I believe all people to be of value? Does it show that intrinsic nature of the value of a human being? You know, as you know, we're getting ready to have this big argument about Roe v. Wade and stuff. And to me, the whole point of Roe v. Wade is not the point that everybody's trying to make. To me, the point of Roe v. Wade is the intrinsic value of an unborn child. That's what we should be arguing about. That child created in the womb by God, that's the value. All right, I tend to digress. So, God intended the law to reveal sin and drive men to Christ. Satan used it to reveal sin and drive men to despair. God meant the law as an interim step to man's justification. Satan uses that final step to man's condemnation. God meant the law as a stepping stone to liberty. Satan used it as a dead end, deceiving his misguided into supposing that from its fearful bondage there is no escape. Now, man's time under the law lasted some 1,300 years, a long time living in childhood, a long time living in slavery. But that changed with the deliverance of grace. So point number two is, under grace, we are the adopted sons and daughters of God. Now, verse four is an amazing verse. I mean, the entire gospel message is captured, really, in Galatians 4.4. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born unto the law. Six key points. When the fullness of time came, God sent his son, born under a woman, born under the law. So we're going to break that down. First of all, we see that when the fullness of time came, when it happened, it happened when it was supposed to happen. Why did man live under the law for so long? Why didn't Jesus come earlier? Now, some would argue, well, it was a good time. Rome was there. You know, it was pretty peaceful. There were some nice roads that made it easy to travel. Seriously, people, it happened because God decided that's what was going to happen. He's God. We're not. For whatever reason, he decided it was going to be 1,300 years, and that's just what it was. And just, for, just like us, we have a point where we feel our children, we think, okay, you're mature enough. I will let you make that next step. 
right? I know, like in my family, I got to drive when I was 16. My older brother didn't until he was almost 20. <laughs> it was like he finally escaped the house and he could drive, right? So, because my parents were like, we're not letting you have the car. You know, it's like, you know, the father decided, hey, it's time. Again, when the necessary time had passed, whatever God had determined that to be, Jesus came. Second, it was God, the creator of the universe, who is fully sovereign and acted out of his own volition. There was no external force that made God do what he did. It was purely out of his own choice. It was his nature to fulfill the promise. He's obligated to do what he says he will do because that's his nature. When he chose to do it, completely sovereign and up to him. Third, God sent his son. The key word here is sent. That is, the Lord moved towards man, not man toward God. It wasn't like all of a sudden mankind realized their need to be fully repentant, and having done so, God said, okay, finally I will come to you. No, that's not what happened. God, looking at mankind, still hating the sins of the world and hating their dis disobedience sent his son to the people. Fourth, God sent forth his son. He didn't send angels. He didn't send prophets. He sent his progeny, his son. God sent the second person of the Trinity, his only begotten, one with the Father yet fully distinct, to serve as a propitiation for our sin and bring us into sonship with the Father. And we become adopted as brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. No one else could have fulfilled that position. And it's amazing to me that God knew from the very beginning of time that this is how it would play out and did it anyway. I mean, seriously, if, one of the things that means amazing is there's no question in my mind that this is God's message because man would not have come up with this idea. That's just not the way we work. We'd have looked at this and say, that's how it's going to come out? Pfft, heck with that. I'm not doing that. No. But God did. He saw the whole thing and said, okay, we're going to do this. Fifth, Jesus was born from a woman. He that spoke, he that was the word that spoke into existence, into being, all that was to be, showed up in lowly flesh, wrapped in swaddling clothes, clinging to his mother's breast. Man, that, that to me is amazing. I mean, no, you'd think he'd come in this great majestic form. No, he came in a little baby. That's amazing. Like I said, there's no way humans would have written this story. That's just not the way things work. You know? I look at I look at Islam that celebrates the sacrifice of your sons to God as something that gets you position in Islam. No, in Christianity, it's the sacrifice of the Son of God that gets you to position with God. Totally different story. Christianity celebrates the death of God's only son as a sacrifice for man. God loved us so much that he was willing to do that. 
The other thing is, Jesus Christ was made of the same substance as his mother. Flesh and bones. Here we have God, the eternal second person of the Trinity, taking the form of a human being with all of its issues. I mean, I just, I said, it's just amazing. He's born of the same mortal existence, a man like ourselves, but not from any earthly stock, right? We're told that supernaturally, the Holy Spirit overshadowed the virgin and she gave birth. Gave birth to a child that was in every sense earthly flesh, but without earthly evil. Pure humanity through true humanity, but a true humanity without sin. I could just see poor James, right? You felt bad for him. Why can't you be like your brother Jesus? He never misbehaves. <laughs> yeah, he had a tough time. All right, six, he was born under the law. So as soon as he was born under woman, he was subject to the law. And he did this necessarily and voluntarily. Jesus kept every piece of the law. When he was circumcised, he designated he was under the law. He willed to be man, and being man, he accepted his position and stood as man subject to the law, even though he was going to be the promise delivered. And during the entire time he was on the earth, he reverenced the law and followed the law. And while he despised the traditions and superstitions of the church had grown into, out of reverence for his father, he still obeyed the law. And he followed and obeyed his father even unto his own death. Now, why did God act with such purposefulness? I mean, to me, it's amazing. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, as a sacrifice for us. Galatians 4, verse 5, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. God's purpose was both to redeem us and to adopt us. He did this not only to rescue us from slavery, but he wanted to make slaves into sons and daughters. We're told here that in these verses how this was to be done, and we know that from Galatians 1, verses 3 and 4, it was to be by the death of his son. We read in Galatians 1, 3 to 4, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father. That was his purpose. He came so that he could rescue us from the evil world, release us out from under the law, give us the promise, and we become sons and daughters of the Most High. So God chose his son to redeem us because he was the only one who could. Had he not been man, he could not have redeemed man. Had he not been righteous, he could not have redeemed the unrighteous. Had he not been God's son, he could not have redeemed man for God or made them sons of God. Only Jesus could overcome the curse, be the first to be resurrected, and the one to bring the promise of Abraham 
to God's adopted sons and daughters. Galatians 3, verses 13 and 14, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Paul's emphasis throughout the book of Galatians is the significance of faith. While the law was of works, salvation and righteousness through Jesus Christ is an act of faith. In these verses, we see the amazing work of the Trinity, the amazing unity of purpose. It's not coincidental that today is Pentecost, the power of the Holy Spirit. First, God sent his son to the world so that he could bear the weight of sin and pay the debt we were unable to pay. Then he sent the spirit into our hearts. Galatians 4, 6. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So when the spirit enters our heart, we immediately cry, Father. All of a sudden we have a relationship with the Father. A knowing of God. I never could really explain it. But I know when I came to that point in my life where I accepted God, it was like a light came on. There was this, oh my gosh. And my previous life, as many of you know, I was raised Catholic and I never had that relationship. Now, I'm not blaming Catholics. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is I just never had that relationship. And then all of a sudden... 33, I know I was a late bloomer. The, it came to me, and, and I don't know why it came to me the way it did, but it did. And it was like, oh my. And I can remember there was times that, I, I remember singing before I came to know the Lord, I used to, we used to say, I have a friend in Jesus. No, I don't. Jesus is the guy with the big stick. Every time I misbehave, he'd reach out and go, whack. You know, I always thought, you know, I always thought religion was this game of sort of cosmic whack-a-mole, you know, and God was looking for an opportunity to whack you. And then all of a sudden, you know, it's like, no. He wants me wants to be my father. He wants to show me the love and 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 kindness and, and compassion from a father. Now I know some of us had fathers that didn't resemble that. And while that's unfortunate, we shouldn't confuse the two. Right? Our earthly fathers were who they were. They're human people too. They struggled with what they struggled with. But our Father in Heaven is a very, very different Father. He can show you love and kindness and compassion that beyond all understanding. Now God sent His Son that we might have the status of sonship. And He sent His Spirit that we might experience that sonship. And we could experience that confidential intimacy of prayer through the Spirit to the Father. I can remember there's very few times in my life that I really could have a real intimate relationship and conversation with my dad. Um, unfortunately, it was typically during Christmas Eve and some imbibing, and, and we would uh, be able to finally have a conversation, a real conversation. Uh, but they were rare. But that's not the way it is with our Heavenly Father. We can have that real conversation with him any time of any day. And he's always listening. And he wants you to be there. He wants you to share that. 
And yeah, it's okay to be mad with God. I have people like that. Oh, I yelled at God today. Well, he could take it. He's, he's a big guy. You know, tell him. Share your heart. He'll share yours. Galatians 4, 7. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We are no longer have an attitude of slaves before the masters, but sons before a loving God. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit witnesses to our sonship and prompts our prayers. It's a precious privilege for all the sons of God to enjoy. And I say sons, sons and daughters, right? We have that privilege to share. And there are times that your heart is so heavy, you don't know what to say. You just let it out, you know. We talk about just lay on the floor and just go, it is yours. I'm tired, you know. God knows, he understands. No other qualifiers are needed. There's no prayers to memorize. There's no special food you can and can't eat. There's no special ceremonies you have to perform. We're no longer a slave to the law, but we are son to the Father and as a son, an heir to the promise of everlasting life with the Father. The promise of this life everlasting in the presence of the Father as his adopted sons and daughters celebrating the release from youthful discipline and the fullness as adopted children. I want to close with the uh, very, I would say famous, but well, well-known verse out of Romans 8, um, verses 12 to 16. So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if the Spirit, you are putting to death the deeds, but by the spirits you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Father, Dad, I'm so grateful for all that you've done. That the promise that lay in wait for thousands of years has come true. And that we can rest in that promise. Our faith and the sacrifice of your son has given us the opportunity, Lord, to be at finally in relationship with you, to communicate with you, to rest with you, to work with you, to listen to you as sons of a Father who loves us, who cares for us, who wants the best for us. Just pray, Lord, open our eyes and our hearts and our ears to you, to your word, to your guidance. Again, just grateful, Lord, that we can experience the adoption as your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen.